You're listening to the Sound and Faith Podcast, coming to you from Faith Baptist Fellowship in beautiful Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I'm Pastor Thomas Slauson. And I'm Pastor Mike Johnson. And our aim is to encourage the saints of Faith Baptist Fellowship to believe sound doctrine and to live lives that adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Pastor Mike, how you doing? I'm all right. How are you? Doing all right. You, uh, you have all your Christmas shopping done yet? Uh, no, no. Not even close. I, I barely have started. How about you? Um, I started back, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, I started back in like July. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, I don't know that we can have like meaningful conversations. <laughs> today's, a, today's a Q&A. Uh, it's Ask Anything, episode yes. two of Ask Anything. Yeah. We have had some great, great questions come in from... Uh, Members of our congregation and uh, from listeners further. Yep. from further, yeah, from from way out there. Uh, some of them here have given their name. Some have asked to remain anonymous. But I tell you what, we're just going to jump in and take these. Uh, we'll we'll try to be as succinct as possible when we answer these questions. If we need to, you know, dive a little bit deeper, that it's totally fine too. We can do that. But we we have a a whole list of questions ranging in different, uh, you know, in different categories, crossing different subjects all connected with Scripture and, and uh, the Bible. So uh, why don't we jump in? Let's do it. Let's do this. This is going to be okay. fun. I can't wait. <clears throat> yeah, I'm going to let you answer this first one, because uh, to be quite honest, my knowledge of this area uh, was was limited, and when I asked you about it, you seemed to know a lot more than I did. So I'm just going <laughs> to throw it out to you. So from Ben Jones, he asked, is there any evidence or direct sign that Jesus or Paul read Cicero's works, or attended Greek plays? Good question, Ben. Uh, that's, that's a, um, yeah, that's, that's a toughie. So to your answer specifically, no, there's no direct sign. There's no direct sign that they've read Cicero or went to any Greek plays, but we can hypothesize and we can make assumptions, um, and, and here are my assumptions, and so just take them, take them like that. I don't, I don't think Jesus took the time during his earthly ministry to read Cicero, um, and there's no real evidence that he did or would have needed to. Um, he did know Cicero, right, uh, because he is, uh, he is the creator, and he made Cicero, so there's that. Paul, on the other hand, my assumption is that he would have read Cicero or been acquainted with him in some ways. Mm. You know, uh, he was... He was more. Uh, he was Roman citizen, uh, as Cicero was. So Cicero, or some of our listeners wouldn't know, um, first century BC. Um, you know, I think I think he was born in 100 BC and died in the 50s or 40s. Anyway, he was a uh, uh, he was a Roman uh, lawyer and um, a polymath, a brilliant man who wrote on lots of different issues. Polymath meaning he knew a lot of things about a lot of things. Uh, made some significant contributions to the Latin language and to uh, rhetoric. Yeah, and so I I think in the rhetoric Paul had, I, I think you can you can kind of pick up when he's writing to the Corinthians a people who would have known of Cicero, um, uh, an acquaintance with Cicero, mm. perhaps when he talks about rhetoric. But I I don't know that for sure. I I, I will say this. I I think um, I I do know for sure that Augustine uh, was appreciative of. Cicero's works and other church fathers uh, were were acquainted with him, and and his contributions to the Latin language um, that they definitely worked into the the weave of church history. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, good question there, Ben. Uh, it's it's an interesting question, especially as we we read scripture. We you know to see 
potentially, you know, were the writings of Paul connected in some way, or yeah. did they reflect uh, some of the rhetoric, rhetoric of the day? Paul uh, makes a quote in Titus to uh, to a Cretan poet that mm-hmm. makes me think that he was widely read uh, among uh, Hellenistic contributors, yeah, and that's yeah. why. And I, I'm so glad I got to talk about Cicero on the Sound and Faith podcast, because I never thought I would. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> yes, thank you, Ben, for that question. Uh, the next question comes to us from uh, Max Reagan, um, and uh, this is uh, very pertinent to our, our season right now. He says, what do you put on top of your Christmas tree? An angel, star, snowflake, Santa, etc." Um, I, I'd like to jump in on this one right here because, well, the first thing I want to say is, you know, there's no mandate for a Christian to have a Christmas tree. <laughs> no, there's not. It's a nice thing yeah. to do. It, it can be a very meaningful thing to do, but, you know, Scripture doesn't give us a directive to say you must, you know, have a tree in your house at this time of year. So, yeah, you know, it's one of those things. I want to make it clear. These are nice, meaningful things that we can do. Uh, they're not biblically mandated things. And if we do them, we want to do them in a God-honoring way. Yep. Uh, our family personally puts a star on top of ours. Mm-hmm. It, it, that's because we what we've done. Um, you know, and it's the the imagery there, of course, the is the, the star... Uh, that that was the star of Bethlehem, mm-hmm. you know, that the wise man followed, um, you know. But it, you, I think you could, your your conscience, you are free to put whatever on top of your tree that you want, or not put anything on Good top answer. of your tree. Yeah. Good answer. So uh, just real quick, we put a star, and the theological significance, it, the reason why we do that theologically is because it's cool looking, like it just looks really nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do all things. Uh, so that they're cool. Yeah. There's there might be a tree around in the building here um, with a sombrero oh. on top. I'm just letting you know that. <laughs> yes, that's brilliant. Yeah. So if you put a sombrero on top of your tree, I've seen it also with the Mandalorian on top. Oh. You know. Um, uh, Good question, yeah, Max. This is Thank the way. You. This is the way. Um, but d- d- continuing on here, uh, uh, Max also asked. This is also from Max Regan. Reagan. <laughs> Max Regan. Reagan. Um, what are some false teachers you'd recommend avoiding? So we talked about this last week. We yes. talked about what is a false teacher, what is false teaching, and uh, the question came from Max, and it's a good question. Um, why did why didn't we name specifically any false teachers? Yeah, I, I love the question. It's it's because we love frameworks more than we love particulars uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to this sort of thing, and the, and the reason why. I, there's a time and a place to name names, uh, specifically when we're warning sheep against a specific threat, like warning the, the church against a specific threat. Um, but frameworks are better. Um, false teachers come and go, and many of the most outstanding ones that we could name, everybody would agree with, and we, mm. would, you know, we wouldn't really be helpful. And and at the end of the day, we want to be helpful to people and understanding. So, with you know, you're, you're probably going to feel like I'm sidestepping this, Max, but I'm, I don't think I am. Um, but I'd like to reiterate a point we tried to make last week, and that is be mostly taught by your local church. Yes. Um, yeah. let, let most of your teaching be, be there. Let, let, don't, don't be mostly influenced by the internet or by outside, you know, like let, let, the, let, let most of your teaching and influence come from the local church and read everybody, hear everybody uh, critically. And what I mean by critically is... Uh, with the question, does this line up with the scriptures? Yeah, yeah, and I I totally agree with that. We kind of Max, we did wrestle with this, and actually, we had talked about it earlier in the week. Um, you know, 
Uh, I, I would say in conversation, uh, if you have any questions about any teachers out there or um, if we want to just have a side conversation where I can, you know, I, we'd be very happy to give you some very specific people to say avoid these people. But but like you said, Mike, we want to give frameworks more than specifics in all of this right here. And one reason to go along with that is that some teachers that we could name that we would want you to be cautious with mm-hmm. also have contributions that they make that are yeah. good. You know, so they're mixed bags. Uh, most of them are mixed bags. I mean, there's some that are there's no contribution there, and you should just avoid. Uh, they're divisive and whatever. Uh, but then there's others who have errors and have good right. things. And, you know, um, we're, we're just not cancel people where we just want to name that person and you just never have anything to do with them. Some people that you would, that, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's enough said. Yeah. So just to reiterate from some of what we talked about last week, some of the frameworks, some of the movements that are out there that uh, I would, I would I would feel comfortable naming in terms of the movements would be anything associated with the health, wealth, prosperity gospel. Stay away. Stay away from that. Uh, anything associated with a, um, a a blatantly progressive liberalist liberalist theology that denies the inerrancy of Scripture, uh, the historic beliefs of the Christian faith, the virgin birth, the incarnation, all of those things like that. Biblical uh, morality. Biblical morality. Uh, avoid those. Uh, Mike, do you have any others? You, yeah, you know? av- avoid legalism. Uh, you yeah. Know, uh, you know, this, um, uh, stick with the evangelical uh, church. <laughs> you know, yeah. don't yeah. go broadly past that, you know, because I, again, there might be some contributions here and there outside of that, but, you know, it's not safe. If you, if you leave the scriptures, if you, like, if you, um, movements that do not hold up the scriptures as the final authority. Uh, avoid those. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and we'd love to have further conversation about this with yeah. you. And, and to be quite honest, Max, we talked back and forth about this, about whether or not we want to dive into specifics, and we just feel it's best in terms of the podcast to stick with the framework, like yep. Mike says. Yeah. Good question, though. Thank you. Yeah, very good question, Max. Um, moving on. Yeah. We're going to go to the book of Revelation. How about I'll read this to you? Yeah. You, you answer it. So in Revelation 7 4, this is an, an anonymous question. In Revelation 7-4, the Bible talks about 144,000 from the tribes of Israel. Do you think this is symbolic, or will each tribe be equally represented? Yeah, um, personally, my understanding as I read the book of Revelation, there, there are a lot of symbolic things there, and I do believe this is symbolic. Uh, the number 144,000, I think, is representing completion there. So all of God's elect from Israel, all of those uh, who are uh, to be saved will be saved, and I don't, I don't think we have to uh, worry about you know the the specific number of that. Uh, one hundred forty-four thousand. You have twelve times twelve is one hundred forty-four uh, times a thousand, signifying this completion that's going on there. Uh, and so, what I love about that passage, and it's one of my favorite passages in Revelation, that you see this picture of. The, the elect of Israel being enfold, uh, folded in, and then you see people from every nation, tribe, language, and tongue. Awesome. Uh, and we can have that great confidence in the preaching of the gospel uh, that God is going to bring his people home. You he know? will not be thwarted. He will not be thwarted. There will be people from Amen. every nation, tribe, language, and tongue. Tie that back into God's promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed uh, and so I think we can have great confidence that God is going to bring His people home, draw Him to draw them to Himself. Amen. Rev seven four, Rev fourteen. We think it's symbolic. That's such a good question. Though. Yeah. Thank you. Very good question. 
Uh, if uh, this is number five, and this comes, this is an anonymous question here. If God created Satan in heaven, uh, and am thinking it is, and I'm thinking it is perfect there with God, then how did Satan sin? Mm. With pride and desire to be God, do angels have free will? Uh, is this actually the original sin? So right. it's kind of a multi-layered question there, really yeah. getting at the heart of how did sin happen in heaven? If heaven is perfect, if we believe that Satan uh, was originally a created being by God, created perfectly, uh, how did he go about sinning? How did that happen? Maybe I'll just answer those backwards. Okay. Um, so yep. is this the f- original sin? I want to say, yeah. is this the first sin? And I, I say first as opposed to original, because original sin has some theological baggage to it, you know, so... Um, meaning different things among, for different people who yeah. use that term. Is this the first sin in the universe? I think so. Yeah. Yes. I think it is the first sin that, that w- at least that we could possibly know about. Uh, it's the first sin. Uh, so yes on the last question. The second to the last question, uh, does Satan, do angels have free will? Now that's posed, I think, by the asker in this context because that seems like a solution to the first problem. Mm-hmm. Like where did sin come from? And so the thinking would go like this. Well, God made Satan perfect, and that's the assumption, you know, that I think we have good reason to think that. He made him perfect, he put him in a perfect environment, God himself is desirable and satisfying and all of that, and yet Satan rebelled, Lucifer rebelled and turned from God and chose himself rather than God, kind of um, turned away from God. Would, yeah. So the answer would be because he has free will, but would that does that really answer it, or is it still bound in mystery? Yeah. Like, if he is a perfect being um, who has um, free will, and I'm just going to use the term that they they supplied, um, I, I prefer, like, genuine volition or genuine okay. will. Yeah. That's a, a preferable term to me. Um, that doesn't change the mystery of it all. Do you, do you see what I'm getting yeah, at? Yeah, I totally like, see what you're getting at, Like, yeah. like even, even if free will is the answer, and we, by, by free will, I think the asker would say something like the unencumbered or uninfluenced will, like God God isn't coercing, God isn't influencing the will. Um, yet still, that would not answer the problem here, right? Like yeah. the, and the problem is, where did sin come from? Uh, why did Satan rebel? And the answer, as unsatisfying as it is, is that we do not know. There is great mystery here. You know, there, yeah. there, there is mystery. Um, There's some things we do know for sure. Uh, Satan was responsible for his sin, fully responsible, will be fully held accountable before a holy God. Um, that much we know. We know it was genuine, you know, we, yeah. you yeah. know, those kind of things. But why? This is a mystery, and one day perhaps we will know. Um, but, but today the Bible doesn't actually help us to understand that. Yeah, and, and that's an important thing to keep in mind. I mean, the things that are revealed to us in Scripture is what God has given us to know, but God is infinite. And, and, and so his, the mysteries of his will, the mysteries of his providence, uh, many of those are hidden from us. And so what, ha- what, what occurred uh, in, in eternity past, uh, before the creation of man, before the fall of man even, uh, those things aren't necessarily revealed to us. And so we, we do know that Satan's fall preceded the fall of mankind uh, because of the timeline that we see in Genesis. We know that Satan deceived Adam and Eve in the garden while they were still yet sinless. They were deceived and fell into sin. So we know something happened, but we don't know what happened. It, and the beauty of this, is, I mean, you know, to put this into perspective, 
We do know this. We do know that God is absolutely sovereign over all things and that he is good. Yeah. And if if we might struggle to put that together when it comes to original sin, that's on us. We just don't understand, you know, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so his ways are above our ways, right? Yeah. But God is absolutely perfect in all that he does, and Satan did not thwart God's plan. Right, exactly. Satan could not thwart God's plan. Yeah. And you have to put all that together and just trust in God. Yeah, Satan has no monkey wrenches to throw in the engine of God's will. So. Right. We don't have to worry about that. And just as one side note here, too, um, you know, I think I think we're uh, touching on a future podcast episode here. You mentioned the term free will, and you prefer yes. something like genuine volition or something. Yeah. Uh, I've I've often used the expression, you know, we do make meaningful choices. Right. Um, I and, like that too. Yeah, I like that expression too, uh, because the phrase free will only appears in the scripture in relation to an Old Testament offering. It doesn't appear in relationship to the choices that we make. And so, yeah, there's there's some mystery there right. in, in how all that works together in the choices that we make and God's sovereign will. We understand that. Yeah. Um, were you going to say something else no, along just those that, lines? Just that also we have to have terms defined, yeah. you know, and I, I it's, it's the definition of free... Like, if you mean genuine volition, I'm with you 100%. If you mean totally uninfluenced by God, you know, outside of, you know... Yeah. Who, who has that? Or ultimate self-determination, those kind of things. Who has that? You know? Yeah. Very good question there. Yeah. Uh, getting into the getting into the, the depths. Yes. Very good question. Uh, this one comes to you, comes to us. Why don't I let you well, I'll ask this question right. because um, you you know the asker here pretty well. This comes to us from Maya Johnson. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's my wife. Yes. Um, and how do you know? I'm her husband. Here's the question. How do you know what is a good work from the Lord today? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I, I guess the quickest answer uh, is um, a good work is what, what God, the Lord has given you to do today. Mm. And that could be um, mowing the grass, and not today, I guess, but, you know, that, that, that could be a menial task that, you know, that you would think is, you know, not in a, like, connected way with God but God has given us lots of those kind of things to do, yeah. you know? Uh, so I think what the Lord has given you that's not sin, that is your responsibility today, is a good work from the Lord, and that mm. you should do that with your whole heart. So First uh, Corinthians I think I wrote, wrote 10, 31 says, let's see, I have it actually. So whatever, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Yeah. So whatever you do is a good work if you're, you know, if it's not sin and it's what God has given you to do, you should do it with your whole heart, and it's a good work for God. I think it's so important to impress upon believers the, that scriptural view that you just mentioned, especially First uh, Corinthians ten thirty one. You know, doing whatever we've been given to do to the glory of God, because you know when we get into scripture and we see the different gifts that have been given to the body and the different members of the body and the way it all works together, you know, there can be a tendency to think, hey, because I'm not out there, you know, climbing Everest. Uh, you know, for the to to raise money for the poor or something like that, that I'm not contributing anything meaningful, mm. or to put it, bring it back, you know, more to our context, because I'm not the preacher, because I'm not the the Sunday school teacher, because I'm not these things. You know, what I'm doing is somehow less uh, important to the body of Christ, and we want every believer to use whatever they've been given for the edification of the body, the building up of the church, to the glory of God. Uh, and, you know, we, we have so many moving parts here at Faith that we are so thankful for. 
uh, so many things that go on behind the scenes that that mm. don't get applause necessarily, uh, but when they're not happening, it's it's obvious that that something's missing, and and it contributes to the overall ministry uh, and and the work that we have going on here at Faith, and we're very thankful for that. Yeah, quick story, maybe this will help. Um, attributed to Spurgeon, not sure if it's uh, I've never I've never checked, but um, a shoemaker talking to Spurgeon saying, what do I do? What do I do so that, so that my life glorifies God? Mm-hmm. I mean, do I, do I talk to guys as I'm making their shoes? Do I, should I emboss something on the shoes so that they could see like a verse or something? Should I, should I put a little note in there that says, you know, love God, love Christ? You know, what, what should I do so that my life and my work and my vocation glorifies God? And Spurgeon, apparently, if it was him, said in the first place, make excellent shoes. Yes. And, yeah. you know, he says in the first place, make excellent shoes. And I, whatever you do, do for the glory of God. So I'll, I'll translate that into uh, 2023, 2024. Um, clean up the bowl of Cheerios that got knocked on the floor. Boom. By your toddler. Boom. Good, good um, answer, yeah. You know, wipe that toilet down. Change that diaper. Um, you know, respect your employer. uh your boss. Study for that test. Study for that yeah. test. Uh, all of those things like that do all of it to the glory of God. Good question there, Maya. We appreciate that. Um, here is another question. This one comes anonymously. How do you fight discontentment? Very good question. And I think it has two sides, the answer. I don't know. You want to give a stab first? Do you want me to? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know which direction you were going to go with it. I I begin with you fight discontentment by pursuing joy. Yeah. Uh, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Uh, I think there is a battle for joy that sometimes has to take place in our heart, but there is always a reason to rejoice if you're a believer. Your circumstances may be difficult, they may be trying, they may be bitter and tearful, but there is always a reason to find joy and hope in our circumstances, and, and I think it's, it's pursuing that and, and realizing uh, what God has done for us in Christ, His many blessings in our lives. What were you going to add to that? No, that's, that's, I was going to say something very similar. I, yeah. I think that's the answer. Be content in Christ. Be content in, in what God has given you. You know, uh, the adage that if you... If you're not content with what you have now, you won't be content if it was doubled, you know? Um, So that's the positive side. Be content. Pursue contentment in Christ. Uh, The negative side is don't stoke or stroke discontentment. Uh, And you can do that. Mm, Usually you do that with little discontentments. Like, I don't like this thing, so I'm going to think about how I don't like this thing. Instead of being thankful, instead of being grateful to God for what He's done in your life, you start start resenting some small thing, and you, 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 you stroke it. You stroke yeah. it, and after a while, um, you're going to be just taken by discontentment. You know, so much of this goes back to that old saying of preach the gospel to yourself every day. Yes. And, and so for that reason, it's important to be in God's Word in prayer. But, you know, there, there are days where I wake up and I'm tired, or I have a headache and I don't feel good, or this or that circumstances of, con- of concern is going on. And, and so there, there's literally a list in my brain I have to go through and say, you know what? Okay, God is sovereign. He's in control. 
God has bought me with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. All of my sins are washed away. I have an inheritance that can never be taken away. I, I know that the plans of God cannot fail. I just, I just walk through this list of biblical blessings that I know to be true and, and have to almost you know, re-center myself in the truth, in the objective truth of God's Word. And, and that's, that's so important in the life of a believer. Discontentment is often fueled by comparison, mm. and social media has it right there for you. You know, yeah. like so, um, you 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 see what other people have, and you see that you don't have that. And usually, what you're seeing is curated things. You know, we we curate our social media feeds. Um, maybe maybe what you need to do is take a walk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe what you need to do is 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 take a drive on a fall day and see the leaves changing and. You know, those kind of things. I've had to fight discontentment over the fact that your mustache curls up on the sides <laughs> a lot better than mine. I well, see, you that's know? understandable. No. Yeah. <laughs> and my, you know, I have to work at that. And so, <laughs> you know, I'm, I've become content with the beard that I've been given. Good man. <laughs> we, we jest. Uh, moving on. Oh, that's the next one. How's this? Uh, how, how do you teach children to be selfless and not grow up narcissistic? I love that question. It sounds very loaded. It comes from Anonymous. Yes. Although I think it was written about me. No. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Joke. Um, how do you teach children to be selfless and not grow up narcissistic? I think these are similar questions than the, to the last one. I think so. And, and I'll, I'll preface this by saying, uh, and I, I can take a stab at it, you take a stab at it. All right. It, there's, it's, it's not easy. I, I think we have to understand that raising children is very difficult, uh, and so understand that it is a process, especially as you raise children, you want them to know God's Word, that you want them to be rooted and grounded in the faith, uh, but it is a process. And so I, I, you know, neither of us is going to give you an answer that's going to result in your children being selfless tomorrow. But I think it's first and foremost is teaching them the Word of God, yes. and then modeling that modeling. in your own life, mm. modeling selflessness. Uh, and those are going to be the two strongest foundations. So if, if you preach the Word to them, if you read the Bible together as a family, if you pray with them, if you teach them what God's Word says, uh, and yet you're struggling with selfishness and narcissism, you know, they're going to see that. They're right. going to see that disconnect. But if you're modeling that also, if you're modeling selflessness and self-sacrifice, um, yeah. especially in your marriage, yeah. that's, going to be, that's going to be the first platform that they see that modeled is in your marriage. You know, if um, one little aspect of this. Um, uh, Lewis, C.S. Lewis said, um, it, you cannot know true delight uh, so long as you um, are taken with yourself mm -hmm. until you become... Self-forgetful, you cannot experience true delight. Um, if you model a delight that comes from outside of yourself in front of your children, yeah. that they see that you're delighted in them, and you're delighted in your wife, and you're delighted in the Lord, ultimately, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, and that delight comes from outside of yourself, not from inside yourself. I think that—and and really, at the end of the day, that's the gospel, isn't it? I mean, that, that's, the, the gospel makes it clear to us that— that, that, that we look to Christ, we look outside of ourselves, we look to Jesus, yeah, yeah. And, and He satisfies the longings. And if we can model that in front of our children, you know, um, that, that, that can go a long way. Now, again, like you said, uh, there's no magic, there's no, nothing you can do to ensure this. I mean, this yeah. is, 
this is a work of God's spirit at the end of the day, you know, and so um, I would add to that, pray for them. It's, it, to use a metaphor, you've, you've got to run at a steady pace. Yeah. And you've got to run at, at a sustainable pace. Um, you know, our children are born sinners. Yes. <laughs> They're born in sin. And, and so until God does a work of grace in their hearts, and, and this opens up a whole other episode that we could do at some point. You know, you've read Tripp's uh, Shepherding a Child's yep. Heart before. Um, you know, we recognize that if our children are not yet converted, we don't know for certain, you know, if we don't know for certain they have come to the place where where Christ is in a work of grace in their heart, uh, there, there's a lot of behavior modification going on, but at the same time, we're teaching them the truth of the gospel, because we believe that God in His sovereign grace can do a work of grace at any time. And so we believe that can happen, but we we want to shepherd them to understand that this this is a there's a gospel motivation here exactly what you were just talking about and and it, it's a, pro, a process um, it's not going to happen overnight there's not going to be one quick fix that I say one thing to my children and all of a sudden ah I've got it from this point on you know so uh, steady a steady pace modeling that being rooted and grounded in God's word uh, remembering that this is all outside of ourselves. Uh, the, the, you know that that those are going to be the key things in right. all of this. Yeah. So model it, make the gospel center, and pray for them. Yeah, yeah, very good. Um, all right, this comes from anonymous. No, I'm sorry, I skipped one right here. Uh, this is Kristen Hulls. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. How do faith and work intersect, and mm. what does that look like? I think they intersect the way that a fruit intersects with a tree that it's growing from, if that mm, makes sense. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, we don't put these on level ground and say, how do they relate with one another? We, we, we see them biblically as one coming from the other. One is derivative, one is the, the origin, right? Yeah. And so faith rooted in Christ, you know, a tree that is planted in that good soil will, will bear fruit, and the, the fruit is the good works. I, the quickest answer that I could think is, is that it, it, it comes, one comes from the other. Faith mm. in Christ and the work that God does through His Spirit in us produces good works. Yeah. Uh, True faith. Course. I mean, we, the, 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 the Scriptures talk about that. Yeah, Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, yeah. love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. James, faith without works is dead. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, Jesus uh, says in, in John chapter 15, verse 4, "'Abide in me, and I in you.'" As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So abiding in Christ, being rooted and grounded in Him, is going to produce that fruit in our lives. Uh, and our Heavenly Father is, uh, in a sense, pruning us along the way in the work of sanctification to make us more like Christ as we, we learn and grow and mortify the flesh and become more like Him daily. Yeah, good question there. Yeah, excellent. Uh, this comes to us from Anonymous. What do we know and believe about the second coming? My answer is going to be extremely short. Well, let's hear it. Jesus is coming back, and you better be ready. Oh, good. I love that. <laughs> so, yeah, mine could be short, too, and it could be longer if we want to Yeah, we, we could definitely it, make it longer. But. Uh, he will come again. Every We all believe that. You know, yeah. there's lots of questions about the timing and the circumstances surrounding it, you know, but we all believe, all true believers uh, believe that Jesus Christ is coming again. The Bible clearly teaches he's, he's returning. 
Uh, we could also, you know, uh, the timing is in the Father's own authority and is not revealed to us. Uh, Jesus made that really clear. It's not for you to know the times of the seasons. He says in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said to his disciples or his apostles, it's not for you to know. Um, so it, the Father has this in his own authority. It will be public. Uh, it will be known. It will be glorious. It will be absolutely changing to all that we know yeah. when he comes again. And the already, um, the not yet becomes the already, the, mm. the, the glorious uh, already reigns, you know, that is that all of the work of God and sanctification in us and, and those kinds of things, uh, Christ will set things right in this world. Absolutely. Yeah, so. amen. And, and one thing I, I, I think is interesting, and we're during this season of Advent, we've been looking at the Nicene Creed uh, in in our worship services, connecting that with Scripture, and I think it's 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 a beautiful picture of what Christians have believed for centuries now and confessed, and how that's rooted in God's Word. But it also says in the in the Nicene Creed about Christ, and this is something Christians have confessed for centuries that He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. They've they've always believed that Christ will return again. And one thing I would I would just caution believers about is getting too much into the minutia of everything regarding the return of Christ to the point that you begin to um, have a, a sense of disdain for other believers that don't hold mm. to those same points of minutia. Uh, you can get so wrapped up in the details and say, well, this and the timing of all of this, such that if another true believer doesn't hold to that exact same position, you begin to become uneasy about them as a brother or sister in Christ. And I think that's dangerous. Can I frame it this way or yeah. ask you, is it possible for a believer to stop looking at the person who's coming again yes. and start looking at all the circumstances? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We begin to become more enamored by you know what we're reading in the New York Times or the Wall Street yeah. Journal, or we see on the news... And we're constantly reading it through that framework of, well, is this this? Is this yeah. this? When when Scripture tells us, yes, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, uh, uh, earthquakes. Yeah. There's going to be all that kind of stuff. But seek you, you know, seek first the kingdom of God. Yeah. <laughs> that's the that's Jesus' command. Uh, be about my Father's business. His return is our blessed hope, and we look to Him yeah. by faith, trusting that He will come again. Absolutely. Well, those are... Uh, oh, I guess we do have a few more questions here, <laughs> don't we? Looks like we do. Oh, the I'm going to give us a little bit of music for this one, because this is uh, <laughs> this comes to us from a listener. I do, I do listen. <laughs> are you, do you listen? I do. This comes from Mike Johnson. It says, is snow a consequence of the fall of man? You see, theologians, we complain differently. Uh, you know, people would who aren't theologians would just yeah. say, I don't like the snow, it's cold, it makes my hands hurt, I don't. Uh, it, it makes me late for work. Theologians, on the other hand, we say, well, Adam and Eve, if they had not had sinned and fallen, sh you know, if they hadn't rebelled against God, uh, there would never have been the flood, which changed the climate yeah. like crazy. Yeah. There never would have been sin. They probably still would not have needed clothing, right? I mean, they, they didn't need yeah. it. They needed it immediately for their shame. We need it for our shame and also for, you know, to be warm, Yeah. right? So I say yes, but then, you know, in all seriousness, uh, uh, the this, this seasons give us uh, great confidence that God continues his work. But snow can be beautiful sometimes. And, and even David yeah, says in it. Psalm 51, you know, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. So it isn't necessarily, you know, a, right. necessarily a right. bad thing. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> we Theologians I, are nerds. I actually, in youth group last night, there was a student who asked for prayer that we would get snow. Wow. Yeah. And, wow. and I can understand that. You know, white Christmas and all that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this year, Nobody dreams works. of a brown Christmas. Yeah. Can I ask my last question? Yeah, ask. Yeah, this is my question. On a scale of 9 to 10, how woke are you, Pastor Mike? Me? Yeah. <laughs> 10 being most woke? Yes. Minus 15. <laughs> is, that, is that terrible? Not woke. Oh, man. We, we joke around a lot, but we have a good time here. Well, thanks for all of those questions. Those are some great questions that we've had come in. But awake. Um, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. <laughs> I am awake right now, so does that mean I'm woke? I guess. I don't know. Um, we're going to have another Ask Anything episode. And of course, in every episode, we do ask uh, or we answer some of the questions that come in. So if you have a question, uh, go to faithsf.com slash Sound in faith, faithsf.com slash sound in faith. There's a place on there where you can submit a question. We also have our uh, episodes listed on there. We encourage you to uh, follow us and subscribe, listen on your device or whatever you've got out there. I don't know. I'm losing my words right now. Anyway, thanks for listening again to the Sound in Faith podcast. I'm going to stop the Christmas music and I'm going to play the uh, the manly music here. There we go. Thanks for listening again to the Sound in Faith podcast. I'm Pastor Thomas. And I'm Pastor Mike. And Lord willing, we'll see you Sunday.